initially crossing that finish line, I thought, oh my God, I have to choose here and I'm not going to choose running over my daughter. So, so it was like, really like, is this how it ends? And I thought, no, it's not how it ends. I just need to figure it out. It wasn't the end. It was the beginning. Welcome to my runner's mind, where we run with gratitude towards a life of happiness and gratefulness. I'm your host, Stina Turgeon. And I believe that as runners, we're uniquely positioned to choose gratitude over negativity. Running itself is so badass and each run offers multiple opportunities to turn a potentially negative thought or feeling into a positive one. Tune in as I'll share behind the scenes of what goes into my 12-week program, My Runner's Mind, which is mindset and spiritual coaching for women runners who know that they're ready to shift away from the shoulds and ought tos in their running routine and replace them with want and desire to live a happier and more balanced life. Are you ready? Let's go. Hi friends, runners. Maybe you're dreaming about becoming a runner. Maybe you ask yourself if you're really a runner. Either way, welcome to episode 19. I have a treat for you today on the podcast. A couple of days ago, I had the pleasure of chatting with none other than running legend, and best-selling author, Dina Castor. As you may already know, she's an Olympic medalist, and she's the American record holder at the marathon distance going on 18 years. Pretty incredible. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know what a big fan I am of Dina and her book. It holds so much valuable, timeless information that's applicable to running, of course, but also all areas of our life. So our conversation, as you might imagine, centered around mindset and the impact of a positive attitude on our life. For those of you who have not yet read Dina's book, go get it. It's that good. But I want to read the excerpt on the back of the book for you to set you up for following our conversation better. And it goes like this. Dina Castor's running career almost ended when her competitive method, run as hard as possible for fear of losing, brought her to the brink of burnout. On the verge of quitting, she took a chance on legendary coach Joe Vigil, who had started the first professional distance running team in the U.S. At his Colorado training center, she encountered the notion that shaping her mind to be more encouraging, kind, and resilient could make her faster than she'd ever imagined possible. It would propel Castor to earn America's first Olympic medal in the marathon in 20 years. Now in paperback, Let Your Mind Run is a fascinating, intimate look inside the mind of an elite athlete, a remarkable story of achievement, and an insightful primer on how the small steps of cultivating positivity can give anyone a competitive edge. I am truly grateful for the opportunity to be able to sit down and interview an incredible athlete and a role model such as Dina. So without further ado, I want to turn it over to the interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right. Okay. So I am here with Dina Castor and I'm super excited to be here live. I reached out and she has the best attitude. She's like, yes, I love podcasts. I love spreading my message. So let's schedule something. And I, yeah, it's just amazing to have this opportunity. Before I keep going on, I just want you real quick, Dina, just go ahead and introduce yourself to the 
listeners, please. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to see you again. But my name is Dina Castor. I'm the I'm an Olympic medalist. I'm the American record holder at the marathon distance. That's a title privilege I've had for 18 years. And then more recently, a New York Times bestselling author with my book, Let Your Mind Run. And it's all just on the power of positivity in performance. Although it's a memoir, I really hoped that the reader would discover more about themselves in reading it. I love that. And that was actually one of my very first questions to you, because I'm sure that that listeners know you from kind of two different paths, maybe either as a runner that have followed your career, or maybe they've gotten a hold of your book and read your book, which is that's my journey into getting to know you. I was a runner and I found the book and all of a sudden I learned about you. Tell us a little bit about what your goal or your aspiration for the book was when you kind of set out to write it? You know, I, I never thought I was an English major creative writing. So I was, I was in the field of writing my college career, but I really didn't think I would write a memoir. I had it, my idea that I would write a cookbook. I would write a children's book of poetry because I didn't want to, I didn't feel like listing my bio would be anything anybody would want to, to learn about. But when I realized that my perspective was a lot different and how I was helping friends and family and helping teammates along the way, just kind of shift their perspective to get a little more out of themselves. I thought, you know what, maybe this is what I'm here to offer. And my first professional coach, Joe Vigil, really showed by example that the value of everything that we have, whether it's time or money or knowledge or food, that the value of it really increases the moment we get to share it with other people. And so what good is learning all these amazing truths that the sport of running can provide in, in the ability to have me reach my potential as an athlete? What good is that if I keep that information to myself? So I really just set out to put it in writing with my co-author, Michelle Hamilton, who was so great on keeping me focused because I tend to go off on tangents and tell a lot of side stories. And I was just so grateful to have a teammate in the writing process to keep me disciplined. But also when the writing got really hard and I would have given up on it a million times, I felt obligated to her because she had dedicated so much time to this project. So it was a, a great relationship. We, uh, we both came to the table with different strengths, but I am ever indebted to the discipline with which she kept me on to be able to complete this project. It's an incredible book and just how it's written and how it shares. It's so jam-packed with content. I mean, I study it. I think I told you that on our other webinar. I mean, I studied, I, it's kind of my, one of my go-to books. It's not just one read is not enough because I think they're, you know, words don't change, but our awareness around them changes and more we kind of spend time on the same material. Right. And that's what I really think your book does. I mean, it has that potential. If people I are agree. In that. <laughs> I have some books in my bookshelf itself that depending on what I'm going through at a specific time, I pick it up and I just get a whole different abundance of knowledge. I accept it in a different way from a different angle, a different lesson, even though it's the same words that inspired me differently years ago. And that's the privilege of books, having the hard copy in your hands to mark up and dog ear the pages, something you can return to when you, when you're having that off day and need that inspiration to keep going. Yeah, no, I love that so much. And one of the reasons I thing that I've really taken to your book is so you and I have complete opposite paths into 
to the running and personal development, which we both shared, right? Because you were a runner first, and then you really, like you said, through your coach, immersed yourself in, in personal development and just taking it further and now sharing it with the world. I kind of came into running through personal development first, because my whole life till I turned 45, I was not a runner, right? I reminded myself that I'm not a runner. I hate running. Guess what? I hate it running, of course, because that's what I told myself, whatever our thoughts are become our reality, right? But then very deliberately, actually realizing that my whole life, I probably would have liked to be a runner. I just never actually had the, whether it was discipline or the, the, yeah, discipline to truly pursue it, but through changing my self concept from self, from personal development, I literally in 30 days was able to run three miles. And four months later, I was able to run my first half marathon. And it's just been an incredible journey ever since, right? With everything like you're saying that running holds yeah. and the potential that running has, right? And because so it was your relationship that needed to change with it. And there's yes. so many people out there that say they're not runners. And I'm like, really, you sometimes run more in a week than I do. Like you're running three days a week or running 10 miles on a weekend. That is definitely a runner in my mind. And <laughs> if, I love that you're you just run that. a mile around the block. You are a runner run, yes. run around your neighborhood. Maybe it's not even a mile, but I love the sport in that it gives us so much, whether it's personal development, whether it's chasing our health, whether it's raising awareness, people come at it at so many different, for so many different reasons, but they get fulfilled nonetheless. And that's the beauty that running has to offer. Yeah, no, that's so good. So you touched on it a little bit when you said, I think my bigger message is that I need to write a book and share this positivity because not everybody was you know, embracing it or embodying it like you are. So my, my one question to you is that, you know, as you started changing your self-concept using this mindset work, how were you perceived by other people in the industry for lack of a better word, right? But yeah, yeah did you... you know, I, I didn't really understand how I was perceived. I was on a mission. And, and so it wasn't so much that I was even aware of what other people perceived because I wasn't being Pollyannish or dismissive of my feelings. When I had disappointment, I cried. When I was elated, I shared it with those around me. And I think it was being able to act authentically in all of those moments, but knowing that the disappointment didn't define who I was, redefining that disappointment to mean that I care and I need to reinvest myself into the sport to get more out of myself. It really showed me how those emotions matter. That nervousness on the start line, sometimes it's an anxiousness that comes from being so well-prepared. You can't wait to just go out and unleash yourself. Mm -hmm. Other times it resonates a little differently because maybe you didn't have the best buildup, but you're there with your jitters and all, and you're going to make the best of the morning. So understanding is the greatest gift we can give ourselves, but understanding mm -hmm. authentically, it's not just nerves. Like Get, dig a little deeper and, and see why you're feeling that way. Oh, my heart is beating fast because I know I have a big task at hand right here and my body's preparing, doing exactly what I'm going to need it to do. Heighten its awareness, get excited. I'm doing it. So this yeah. is good. This is a good feeling. That is so good. Feel our feelings, right? And kind of see what lies behind them and the reason for them. Right. I think we sometimes get so cliched in our head that we toe the line and we're nervous. We either feel disappointment or elation at the finish line. It can be a million other things going on. And it's, it's our job to pinpoint what that is, identify it, but also use it to our advantage. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Targeting it 
at something, right? Using it to our advantage. So is that the norm for athletes, do you think? You know, I mean, we're on the heels of the Olympics and Paralympic Games. And I don't know why I was so shocked every single day we sat in front of the screen and watched events on our computer at how amazing these athletes performed. I thought, this is a totally different year than they were preparing for to compete in these games, whether it was swimming or weightlifting or track and field. And they are performing at such a high level in almost every sport, national and and world records were being broken. Athletes climbed to the occasion. And for so many of us that struggled through the pandemic, right? We wondered what was going on, when our next meetups were going to be, felt lonely because we didn't have our training groups to train with for a length of time. And then when we finally got together, how good that felt. And I think when champions are met with uncertainty or something as big as a pandemic that is really sidelining their careers, they just do what it takes to get the best out of themselves. So when the competitions begin again, they're going to be ready to be at their best. And I just thought that was really admirable to see that on the Olympic stage. It was a great lesson for all of us that the year was hard for everybody. I think that is such a good point because, you know, what I noticed last year when the whole pandemic broke out, everything, of course, was canceled. All the races were were canceled. I was supposed to run a marathon that was canceled, Big Sur and whatnot. What I noticed, though, so my running community is virtual because I live so remotely. But what I saw on Facebook was how people would post and say, well, what's the point of running? I don't have a race. And I was thinking, no, 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 we don't just run for the race. There's... (laughs) So much more to running, right? What would be your advice for recreational runners? I mean, the ones that run a couple of times a week and fit it in to a busy lifestyle, learning from, you know, obviously your experience and from what you said you saw in the professional athletes here in the Olympics, right? Absolutely. Because really, when we get to the races, that's the reward for all that hard work we've put in. So without that reward at the end, without that medal that we can hang on our wall or that bib number that we can paste up there as wallpaper in our office, we need to, I think it's a really good lesson on why we do actually do what we do. And for me, the reason that that I fell in love with this sport is that sense of exploration. So When the pandemic hit and my teammates weren't able to meet up, we were all kind of quarantined and stay at home orders here in California. I thought I took a few days off because I was like, well, I don't need to run. But then I was like, no, this actually makes me a better person because I love to go out and explore and see the site. So right from the front door, I looked to our town is only four square miles in the middle of national forest. And I thought, you know, I'm going to run around town as a marathon runner. I was pretty sure I covered every inch of territory in this town. I'm going to find every street I haven't run on. Sure enough, I found five streets that I had never run down before. So seeing new houses and gardening was inspiring and really dumbfounding to me that I could train for so many marathons for the 21 years I've lived here and not have run on these five streets. (laughs) And then another day, I passed the Weston Hotel near our pedestrian village. And from the village up to the hotel on the hill is 75 steps. So it's a big climb if you're just going to walk down to the village and enjoy dinner or some live music. And I thought, I'm going to count these steps. So I ran up them slowly to count the steps, 75. 
I'm going to do this 10 times. So I ran down to start number two and number three. And by six, I was completely spent. My hip flexors just would not lift anymore. And I said, you know what? I'm going to rest and I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to do 10 of these. And I did. And it was those little bits of satisfaction. I think that's why it's important to run in the beginning of the day, gain that satisfaction of accomplishment. It's the importance. I don't know if anyone's read that book, Make Your Bed. But it's the importance of making your bed in the morning because you've accomplished something. You start the day with discipline. And then no matter how the day goes, you go to bed at the end of the day, you get into that bed that was well-made and you know you accomplished a little something. It might be small, but it shows that you're tidy and intentional and whatever else that might mean to you. And so it's those little things, that little reward that during an un- the uncertainty of this pandemic, you got a little bit of running and you accomplished a little bit in that day. And the endorphins that come with just the movement itself are there to help as well. Right. So, you know, allowing the forgiveness for maybe not, you know, or for not forgiveness, but, you know, embracing what has just happened yet, getting back into what feels good, which, like you said, was running, even if it's just a little bit to kind of, you know, keep us going, right? And And on a similar... A similar note, I love dinner parties. I love having the house full. I love prepping all day long, making different dishes with the intention of fueling and nurturing the people that are going to be at the table. And knowing that it was just my husband, daughter, and I, I was like, why not still create that fanfare? Let's make an elaborate dinner. Let's dress up for dinner. Even though none of us have showered and we've been in our PJs all day, let's shower and dress up for dinner and let's play music. And so it became kind of a thing. Like if this gives me joy, I could still do it. It may not be in the, in the scope of what I typically experience it in the running with all of my teammates, the training for races, the having, having big dinner parties, but I could still enjoy the process of getting out there and running, feeling those little rewards it gives me every day and also nurturing my, my own family in a similar way. Right. And you're touching on, you know, something I take, I've taken away from your book that I think is so important. You have a chapter that I call strategic joy, right? Which is where you took a task that wasn't super fun for you as you were, I think it was in your early days as a, a marathon runner and the long run was something you always dreaded, you say in the book, right? So you decided to create a, an elaborate ritual about it, kind of like what you're talking about here during the pandemic with the dinner parties. And you set yourself up for a, a very nice breakfast and, and just enjoy the whole thing. And then the run came on the heel of that. And then all of a sudden you were looking forward to the entire day because it was right. kind of a, you had a treat first and then you went into your run, right? I think that that's such good advice you know, that can be implemented in running, obviously, which you did, but also, as you're saying here during something like COVID and and things were shut down and you found the joy in your everyday life, right? Right. And we all have aspects of our job that we're not like totally elated about, like, hopefully we all enjoy our careers and in our professions, but there's always something Excel spreadsheets, maybe it's paperwork, maybe it's the important meeting, meeting Mondays, like maybe these are things that you're like, gosh, I have so much to do. And I'm sitting in this unproductive meeting, whatever it is to add joy, strategically add joy or intention to those moments, having a flower in a Mason jar, rearranging your desk. So you've got a good view, putting on music to enhance the moment, or even just 
wearing a bracelet that makes you feel good. You know, that, I mean, these are all little tactics that you can use to just enforce a little or instill a little joy. And when I did that in running, realizing that just making sure as I laced up my shoes that I had joy when I got out that door, Mm. my career was enhanced so immensely because of that. But then I was like, man, if, if I'm just instilling a little joy for the three hours I'm in my running shoes, what if I just looked at my whole day and just made sure that even some of the monotonous mundane parts of it, that I added joy to this. So I was living a fulfilled life and it was so rewarding. It was such a simple task. It could just be music. It could be rubbing essential oils on your wrist, lavender on your pillow. If you want to go to sleep at night or citrus to boost your mood. And it's so amazing amazing how that intention really does fulfill you in such a grand way. Something that you might've detested doing in your day chores, like chores are a big one. Like who does anybody really love doing dishes or laundry or mopping the floor? Maybe there's some of you out there, but making sure it's enjoyable is such, it's such an easy task to do just by making sure something you enjoy is part of that process. Yeah, no. And I think that chapter is such an incredible chapter for what, what it holds, because one of the things you say in the chapter and that you're, you're sharing here also is that you become intentional. So when we're intentional, of course, we're active, we're actively doing something. And you noted in the chapter, how you were actually pretty passive in, you know, waiting for things to happen, waiting to be at the bottom of that hill that you're like, okay, charge up the hill and then find the excitement as you come upon it. And then you switch it to actually being intentional even ahead of time, right? And then as you're saying, you're spreading it into all other areas of your life. And I really think it's such an underutilized tool. Self-fulfilling prophecies are a real thing. And a lot of us use them negatively, like I can't do this, or this is so hard, or I can't get through this. And unfortunately it works in that way that when you tell yourself these things, these mantras, these negative or positive affirmations, these statements, I guess there's not a negative affirmation, it's a positive affirmation or a negative statement, your body starts getting to work to manifest that. So if we're going to we're just going to be judgmental or downright lie to ourselves. Let's do it in a good way that we're going to benefit from. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. That's a good one. So I, yeah, I, I had a question that said, how did running serve as a tool for personal development and how did personal development support your running career? And I think you've just summed it up so well for us. So today I was listening, preparing for our chat. I was listening and I came across a part in the book where you just, broke your foot in Beijing. So this is the Olympics and was it 2008? Yes. And you were actually set to probably win gold in the marathon then, right? And so you're taking time off the thing. I think the chapter is called the sandwich on the deck if people want to reference it in the book. But okay, so I want to read, there was a quote in there that I just wanted to touch on with you. The positive approach that contributed to my running was ready to strengthen any passion or pursuit. Right now, I was applying it to my health. And I think that observation is so profound. And it goes a little bit back to what you just mentioned in the strategic joy, right? Because reality of it, you had lost something very big. I mean, you had spent a lot of time training for that, obviously, right? And you did allow yourself, you know, a pity party in the back of that pickup bus, of course, right? Which, I mean, feel the feelings that totally makes sense, right? But you're just graceful to see how you're able to switch your focus on how it serves you 
rather than staying? Because I can only imagine how how many people would have stayed. <laughs> and it took years of practice to get to that point, to be there with a broken foot when you think you're running for gold that day and be able to say, okay, now I'm just going to contribute to my health. But it was a very authentic moment and such a great reflection to know that all that work was worth it. Because in the time where I dabbled in positivity in the beginning, it was just getting me through a mile repeat faster. And then it was making me win races. And then it was making me break records. And here it immediately pulled me out of this slump, this really big crisis that I had been preparing to earn gold that day. And all of a sudden I needed a new goal, but that's the beauty of, of creating that habit of thought is that it's there to rescue in really dire times. You can play with it and nurture it and reinforce it over time. But when it matters most is when you are in crisis. And thankfully it was there to say, okay, goal of gold, not possible. Let's figure out why you're unhealthy and build yourself stronger. And so that was my new mission. Like, how, like, how was I so delusional to not see that this was going on inside of me? And so it was a wake up call. Like I'm nothing if I don't have my health, not just as an athlete, but as a person. So how do I, how do I understand this better and then build myself stronger? And that was my new mission. And I was on a fire path to figure it out. And I had to ask a lot of questions repeatedly and do research, but finally figured out that perfect storm that happened to deplete my bone density. I should never have been osteoporosis at age 35, but I figured it out. I built myself stronger and I now have a skeleton of an ox. So I I was able nutritionally just to make sure I was emphasizing vitamin D in my body. My blood work came back with an immense amount of calcium, but no vitamin D anywhere in my bloodstream that is dangerous. So it was leaching nutrients from my bones in order to sustain my heart health, which is crazy to think about that. My body went into triage protecting me, but I'm grateful for that and grateful that I could heal fine to be able to enjoy this sport for many years later. And I really want the listeners to pay attention to this. It's such a testament to how you have completely at that point embrace personal development and your com- complete belief in positivity and, and gratitude and what it, how it serves you and what it does for you and how you can direct it. Right. Because you, you did have, you know, you, you found yourself a new goal, which is so great that directs is right. And then you, it sounds like wholeheartedly embrace it, not just somewhat embrace it, but you, you truly wholeheartedly embrace it. And, and the next thing I was thinking of there, when you, you talk a little bit about in that chapter, also how you, you contacted a, an energy healer, I can't remember his name out in New York. And he always had a little bit of a different approach to things, which is, I guess, what you probably really appreciated about him, right. And was telling you that how ironic it was that you were fit, but not healthy, right. And then again, the testament to your, your mind and your discipline and that you go about healing yourself from the inside out. Talk a little bit to the listener about how you visualized your, your toe. It was your third metatarsal, right? That was broken. Visualized it healing. Cause that took me back to what I've heard Dr. Dispenza talk about, for instance. So tell the listener a little bit about that process. 
Yeah, it was a, it was obviously a weird time because mentally I was there ready to, to heal and get stronger, but I had something physiologically going on, tapering for this big race and not having that release of, of energy. So there was like a weird storm going on that took some time to subside, but my mind was always ahead of my body in this process and leading the charge to heal and, and, and strengthen and just picturing myself like really with like a sewing kit, like weaving, weaving my bone back together and just sending energy there to strengthen and reinforce and, and, to, and to be sound and straight, like only healing was the option. There was no other option here because my mind wouldn't let myself go there. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes when things don't make sense, or I need a, a better perspective. Peter Roth from the Heart River Institute is always my guy I go to, to make sense of weird things, to help out with animals because they, they're not able to talk to us. And so my my pets often, I get some insights from him through that. And, and to me, it's just one of, one of those tools in my arsenal, right? To just make things right, to keep growing. I may not ever run a 219 marathon, but I feel like I am my best self today and I'm going to be better next week. And it's just that, it's just that personal growth using everything around me as inspiration, but also always having a goal in mind, always having something to strive for so that when I wake up in the morning, it's not just coffee getting me out of bed, but it's the motivation to get in there and, and get some work done. Oh, that's so good. And I love that always having a direction, right. To, to strive towards, right. Cause that really kind of keeps us alive. I mean, instead of, and, and I wanted you to explain that a little bit, because I think what I see in, in our running communities for recreational runners is that inevitably, I mean, whether you're an athlete or not, you're going to get injured. Probably. I mean, I think most likely. And what I sense from these communities is how people really just get down on themselves. A lot of recreational runners run as a that's exercise and i i term it kind of like they run from something whether it's because they want to run from the amount of food they've eaten in the past and they want to lose weight or they want to run away from stress and just have you know chase that freedom or whatever it is i think going inward like you did when we have something like this whether it's a stress fracture or a shin splint or whatever it is that comes up for people is so much more powerful than just stressing and, and spinning and not, I mean, it's so much more productive what you did just really go inward and serve yourself. Right. Right. And, and injuries are part of it. It's in my mind, like I'm a very emotional person in, in running, but also in life, my heart is on my sleeve. I share it all tears and laughter. And to me, when things go wrong, I shut that emotion off and I just get strategic. And so in the face of injury, I'm thinking, okay, is this because I'm pushing the limits? And, and that's good because, you know, we're, we're testing boundaries week in and week out. That's nothing to be ashamed of, or is it something I'm overlooking? And, and let's see, like, do I need to get massage? Am I, do I need to shorten my runs because I only have an hour every morning? Do I need to shorten my run to 45 minutes and get in my stretches instead so that I can stay healthy? So just stepping back and almost being a friend to yourself instead of the critic, because we we're all very good critics of ourselves, but stepping back and being that friend and giving really sound advice. Okay. 
let's look at, let's look at what might've gone wrong. Is this something I, I pushed through too much or something that I'm overlooking? And the answer emerges and then health is right around the corner, but really honoring the fact that our bodies need rest when they scream for it is really important. Really important. Yeah, no. And that's so true. And that's something I'm finally starting to understand, right? Because very often, and I think, especially for female runners or female athletes, or recreational athletes, but we sometimes get really mad at our bodies feeling <laughs> that they're not cooperating or doing what we want them to do. So I think that is such a good point. We do need to listen. And then we kind of become one mind and body, right. And, and can work in sync. Yeah. And a, a general thing that I think about when something is aching is that if it is equal on both sides, both of my knees, both of my hips tired after a long run, that's good. They'll adapt. You know, I just need to rest tomorrow, come back next week and start again. And the adaptation process seems to take care of that. If it's unilateral and it's only happening on, on one side of the body, I'm like, okay, what am I compensating for? How do I nip this in the bud right here? And right now, this is not something I'm going to run through. I mean, if it's the case that I like rolled my ankle and my perineal tendon is tight from doing that, then usually going on an easy run the next day will help flush that out. So really just being mindful and giving yourself sound advice. Yeah, no, that's really good. I do have another question I want to ask you. I have a quote I really, really like, and I wanted you to share with me what it means to you. It's by Ambie Burfoot. I'm not super familiar with him, but I'm sure you are. She's showing a heart now. I love Ambie. <laughs> and the quote is, as you run, you become. Now that holds so much for me, but I wanted you to share what it holds for you. I mean, if you're thinking the entirety of that quote, what does it hold for you? Yeah, I think so much. So the young child in me that just liked to explore on trails was where I found my joy in running. But what has kept me at it for almost four decades is, is for what it's done for my growth as a person that I'm out there and Maybe it's something that's that's nagging at me, or it could be a social injustice or a problem that I'm having with, with family or friends. And my time in my running shoes always brings clarity. Like and that. so I think it helps, it helps flesh that out. And whether it's the endorphins going through your body that help with that, or maybe it's that you have this sanctuary of space to just not have distractions and think things through clearly. I'm not sure what, what that is, but running seems to always give it. Nice. Nice. I like that. Do you run with, I call them distractions. Do you run with music or I don't, I don't. I actually love taking in, taking in my surroundings. I think it's also a safety issue. If I were to really reflect on it, like as a child running, I would never wear music because I need to be aware that I'm running. I'm a 13 year old running through the Santa Monica mountains. I want to hear animals or other people around horses coming up behind me, but also I really liked running to be a full sensory experience. I want to taste and feel the air changing. I want to, to hear the rustling of the leaves in the fall. I want to, I want to, I just want to take it all in to me. That is ultimate joy of running is that it is a, a full sensory experience right tuning into the run rather than kind of tuning it out tuning it out it. yeah I love yeah that. I had one woman a few years or a couple years ago that said I just loved your book because it just gets me out of my head and I was like then I didn't do a very good job writing it because you want to be in that head you just have to have the right thoughts 
I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple of questions from my running community. I was hoping I could ask you. One is what was your biggest mental victory until now? What has been your biggest mental victory until now? That was Bauke who was wondering this. Oh, so my biggest mental victory, I would, well, my first thought was, was gratitude practice because it was so powerful in my life. Once I wrote down three things, three unique items I was grateful for every single day and to see how powerful that practice became over time. But I think the biggest one would be after having my daughter Piper, when I was trying to make my fourth Olympic team and fell very short of it. I was sixth place. You need to place in the top three in order to make the the US team. And my first thought when I crossed that finish line was that I failed as an athlete and as a mom because neither one was getting 100% of my attention. And it really took me a camping trip up the California coast to just mull this over. Like, am I done? I don't feel done. I still love this sport. I want to raise my daughter and give her 100% of my time, but I can't give two things 100% of my time. And it finally dawned on me that the entire running community can do this. They can hold successful jobs. They can raise families and they can follow their passion in this sport. My passion in running and my career are the same thing. So technically I should have it easier than everybody else. And so I really turned to the general running community to offer me strength in that time. And as I stepped forward more into this thought process, I thought, you know what? I love doing a lot of things. But how about giving 100% whenever you are wearing any of those hats? So when I'm in my running shoes, I'm giving 100% to my running. I'm not thinking about all the things I'm neglecting. When I come home and I'm momming, I'm going to be 100% into it and devote my attention to my family. When I'm doing housework, I'm going to get it done so quickly and efficiently. And when I'm making dinner for that dinner party, it's going to be the best meal to date. And so really just giving myself the joy of all the things that that consume my day and making sure that I know it's a hundred percent of all of it. And that can be done. And so for some reason I was stuck on this hundred percent, I think because so many years I was focused a hundred percent on building my career. Even my husband was a hundred percent into the process as my massage therapist and major supporter in every single training run that I did. And so I was stuck on percentages, even though I'm not a math person. And so that's what I came to. And from then on, it took that long road trip, but from then on, I had peace in the process. Nice. And I love that you're bringing up, you can have both or all of them, the things it's not an either, or it's can be an, and, and just with the right mindset going in. Right. Right. And initially crossing that finish line, I thought, oh my God, I have to choose here and I'm not going to choose running over my daughter. So, so it was like, really like, is this how it ends? And I thought, no, it's not how it ends. I just need to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the end. It was the beginning. Very good. Very nice. Yeah. Well, I want to end us on that note. That was a really good way to actually end it up. It wasn't the end. It was the beginning. Where can people find you, Dina? Of course, I know where I found you, but where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dina Castor, on Instagram at Dina8050. 8050 is the elevation with which I run. People try to wonder about what it was 8050. Are there that many Dinas? (laughs) How many or how many seconds are in a marathon? Is it 8,050 seconds? No, it's just the elevation that my house lies. <laughs> that was so funny. Okay. And I will put all this in the show notes of the podcast. 
Great. Just, Thank you so thanks. much for a wonderful evening. It's always nice having conversations with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful and I can't wait for all my listeners to, to hear this, this interview. It's so great. So, Hey, take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye. So if running is our practice ground and we can turn every experience into fuel, then we can transfer it to the rest of our life and positively impact our whole world. Just one run at a time.